Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2. That's where we'll be in a few minutes. Um, We'll kind of jump through a couple of different passages again today as we look at this theme of here is the church. What has God designed the church to be? It's his organization and his institution. And so we as a local church uh, here at Beaverton Baptist Church seek to carry out um, doing church, so to speak, the way that, in a way that honors and glorifies God. And that begins at a macro level, right? As, as a church, it begins as, as a body. Like, what are the goals of our church and the purposes of our church in general, how they line up with Scripture? But then also, um, we, we have to own that individually as well. And that's kind of where we've been uh, the last uh, few weeks. We began with um, looking at what is a pastor, right? Because um, that's, the one that, that's the one who God has called to lead the church. Uh, and then we looked um, a couple weeks ago at what is a deacon. And we began last week with this, come all Christians, be committed. We're going to be here this week and at least next week as well. Looking at what is the, what is the responsibility of individual believers uh, when it comes to the local church. Because we as believers have a responsibility to the church. And we are the church. And so what is it that, that God calls on us to do and in, when we go to church, and why do we do these things? And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open our time here today. Father, thank you for the word of God and its power to change our lives. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and his salvation that he offers to us. And thank you for the church that you have given to us to be a part of. Thank you for this local body of believers. And Lord, we ask that today you would open our hearts to the word of God. You would help us to be molded and made by it. You would help us to grow and to change through it. And that you would challenge us here. You wouldn't let us stay where we are. You wouldn't let us grow complacent and apathetic and content. But you would help us to be willing to say, yeah, we need to this is an area I need to, to grow in and change in. And these are some decisions I need to make or things I need to do or not do because I want to be a part of the church in a way that honors and glorifies my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would meet with us and we would, um, we would know that we have heard God's word preached today, not the opinions of some man. And Lord, I pray you would help me not to get in the way of the work you want to do here. In your name we pray. Amen. There is a tremendous difference between going through the motions on something and intentionally engaging in an activity or a practice. Um, And perhaps you, you have these things in your life that you have done time after time after time. And if you're not careful, you, you kind of get going through the motions of something, and you don't remember the purpose of why you're doing this, or uh, you miss things because you're not being intentional and focusing on that. Because when you're not actively engaged, it is easy to become disinterested, distracted, or just to withdraw your participation altogether. And when it comes to activities and things we engage in as a local church, this attitude of going through the motions is not uncommon for a local church to battle. We show up at a building, we start at you know, roughly the same time, we get, at, at, we get out of church at, well, kind of the same time every week. We, in between those times, do kind of roughly the same things. And though some, uh, some elements of our worship services or church activities may change from week to week, there is an 
ever-present threat of apathy and a temptation when you walk in the building of, a lo- of, this, of a local, any local church to go through the motions of church. And, and we got to seek to avoid these apathetic, just kind of, well, this is what we always do, mentalities. Because God calls Christians to be committed to the local church. And within that commitment, there are things that we should commit ourselves to doing when we are here, actively and intentionally engaging our minds with what goes on this place for the glory of God. And just a reminder of, of what is the purpose of this, uh, the, these passages as we look through them here today is that Christians are called to dedication to the local church for the purpose of exercising the character of the new man and furthering the mission of the kingdom of God. Your engagement in the local church is so that you can do the things that God has called you to do. As a Christian, uh, you have been made new. You still live with your flesh, but your inner man is made new in the image of, of Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn from the dead. And one day, we will spend eternity, if we know Jesus Christ, we'll spend eternity with him, but while we're here on this earth, we are called to live out the things that he has called us to do. To live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel does. It transforms us. And all the while, as we do this, we further the mission of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk more about that in the, today and in the coming weeks. Like, what is, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, what is the mission of the kingdom of God here on this earth? What are we to do? Because, again, the church is the manifestation of that in this time. And so, last week... Uh, we spent all of our time in Hebrews chapter 10 uh, looking at this first point. We're not gonna, I'm not going to rehash this whole point just to remind you where we were uh, of this idea of, of what is it God has called us to do? Why do we go to church? Why do we uh, come to this building? Why do we meet in this place? One, to faithfully fulfill God's command. God calls Christians to be faithful to church. He calls us to be a part of the local body. Not just to show up and punch a clock when we feel like it, but to be actively engaged and be a regular member. Hey, when there's church, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a part of that because that's what God has called me to do. There is that element of this is what God has said. And, and, and this, so when we're here, what are we doing while we're here? Well, we looked a little bit at that last time uh, in Hebrews chapter 10. That we are to, to encourage one another to love and good works, to exhort, to come alongside, uh, to stir those things up in other believers. But as you know, you've, perhaps you've, you've grown up in church, you've gone to church for many years, maybe you have an idea of, well, I mean, there's some things that churches do, right? You probably name, probably anything that I'm going to tell you about in this message in the coming ones, you, you probably could name that, well, that's what churches do. But we need to talk about why do we do that? Why is that important? And, and where does God put a premium on that? And, and how should I engage in those things? So, number two, what does God call us? Why does God call us to be committed to church? What is, why is it I go to church? Number two is to worship God with fellow believers. And I want us to see, first of all, the importance that God places on corporate worship. We're going to begin in Psalm 149, and then I'm going to also read from Acts chapter 2. Psalm 149, I'll put it up on the screen, verse 1. We read this this morning. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. And you have Acts chapter 2 open. Look now in verses 42 through 47. Some verses we've referred to uh, throughout this series at the beginning of the establishment of the church. And we read this. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their need day by day those who were being saved. So secondly, why is it that we go to church, not just to faithfully fulfill the command that God has given to us as believers, but to worship with fellow believers? And here in these passages, we see the importance of corporate worship as a church. Worship is one of the major purposes of the church. It is a natural, right response of Christians to God. And worship begins in our personal lives. It has been well said, I I don't know who said it first, but it's something I've never forgotten, this statement. Worship is a way of life. How we live is our worship to God, right? Paul talks about it in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, right? And, and, the, and the difference there is this, that most of the time when you think of sacrifices, especially Paul's using an Old Testament imagery in Romans chapter 12, what do you normally think of about sacrifices when you offer them? They're usually what? Yeah, burn, which means they're dead, right? Hopefully. And so what Paul is saying here is that we are to live our lives as a sacrifice to God. Why do the people offer sacrifices? Well, they offer sacrifices for different, different reasons throughout the Old Testament. One of the major reasons they did that, that was part of the worship that God commanded for them to do. We are called, as believers, individually, we each have an individual responsibility before the Lord for how we live. And how we live is our worship. It has to start there. If you are not living a life that pleases the Lord, if you are not engaging in in active day-to-day worship by by living in a way that honors him, by following him, by engaging with the word of God and prayer and all the things we talk about that we do as a corporate body, you, you can't put on the show every week and show up at church and say, well, this is my worship because you haven't lived in a way that worships God. We don't come to this place and say, well, we just keep it all here. Worship is a way of life. But we also can't say, well, worship's a way of life, and it's very personal, so I don't owe anything to God with other believers. You see, that's not true either. God has called the church to come together corporately to worship him. There is an importance to gathering with fellow believers in this place. The psalmist in 149 speaks of worshiping the Lord not alone, but with others, He says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. So we should worship the Lord individually. But that individual worship should give us a thirst and a desire to worship God with others. This is one of the reasons God created the church. The psalmist tells us that he would sing God's praises in the assembly of of the godly. And I think that you would be hard-pressed to not say that the church is definitely fitting of that description. That when God's people come together, it is assembly of people who are godly. 
Why? Because of who we are? No, because of what God has done in us. Because of his work in us. And so, just as the psalmist placed a premium on that in his day and age, so should we today. Believers are saved by Jesus Christ. We are empowered by God to live for the Lord in a godly way. So therefore, let us gather to worship together. And as we go through our lives, living in worship to God, one of the things you're going to realize, if you haven't already, the world is a sinful place. Did you know that? And sometimes you, you look around and you're trying to live for the Lord and you just kind of feel like, man, I don't think anybody else wants to do the right thing. Well, that's kind of how human nature is. We want to serve ourselves. So we should long for and desire to be with people who want to serve God that we can worship God together. And so we've talked through the various ramifications of things that are mentioned at the end of Acts chapter 2, but I want to focus here on the fact that at the end of Acts 2 here, the people place an importance on gathering together and praising the Lord together. We see that in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. The people devoted themselves to the church, to worship, and the other activities the church is called to engage in. And so what we see is corporate worship then brings honor to God. God is glorified and magnified by his people's worship. And that should, that should amaze us. We are finite beings, right? We have, a, we have an infinite, we have, a, we have an eternal soul that will live somewhere forever, but, but we have here no rational ability, no capableness in of ourselves to understand God, right? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we, we have a sin problem. And God is delighted when we worship him? Yes, yes. And that's a glorious and wonderful thing. God redeems us through Jesus Christ that we may be trophies of his grace and worship him with our lives. And that's what the people were doing. They're gathering together to worship him. His name and his mission are advanced by his people's praise and devotion. And you know, let's just be honest. You can't get this corporate worship if all you ever do is watch a service online. Right? And I'm all for church is putting services online. You know here we put our messages online. We don't have a live stream or anything like that at this time. It's a wonderful tool, especially when we dealt with some of the things we've dealt with in the last four years. But you cannot say, well, I just go to church online because that's not going and engaging with God's people. Part of being a part of a church is engaging with the people of God to worship God together and the other things that we're going to look at. You can't fulfill God's mission if you don't make yourself a part of the corporate worshipers of God. You cannot experience the benefits and the blessings of worship if you isolate yourself from these things. And so when we gather in corporate worship, we have a couple then specific expressions of worship we can engage in that we're going to look at today. And number two, we're going to look here, uh, as we look at, at, at worship with fellow believers, we're going to look at singing in our worship You're in Acts. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll look here at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 in just a second. Before we do that, I want to show you on the screen another section of verses. Psalm chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says this. Shout for joy in the Lord, all you righteous. Praise befits the upright. 
Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And then Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what is it that we can do when we come to this place to worship the Lord together? We sing as part of our worship. Singing is the foundational way in probably which we, most of us think of corporately worshiping God. In fact, if I were to say to you, what is it that you think of when you think of a church's worship service? Probably the number one answer is singing. Because that's kind of a universal thing, right, in churches that, that we sing. But the question is, why do we do this? Do we sing because it's a really nice filler and gets us all warmed up so we don't fall asleep right away when the pastor gets up, you know? You know, it takes another 10 or 15 minutes to fall asleep after that, okay? Do we just, you know, is it like, well, we don't really know what else to do, so we just kind of open the hymnal and we do this? No. You know why we do this? We do this because God delights in it. Worship that honors God should be offered in a way that pleases him. And you know what God delights in? God delights to hear his people sing. How many of you, maybe, maybe you're not at this point in your life, I don't know, maybe it's something from, more from your past, but how many of you at some point in your life or even now, music is an important part of your life or has been an important part of your life? Okay? And I don't mean that maybe you played an instrument, but you, you enjoy music, you listen to music, you, you know, God's used music in a powerful way. And, and music speaks to us, right? Music, um, we look around our world, our, our world is, is obsessed with music, right? And we are tempted to think, well, I mean, music, I mean, man, it's come up with a great, do you know who, whose idea music is? Music is God's idea. He is the creator, far and above we are, who we are. Music is God's idea. He is more creative than you and I, and he has given us the gift of music. Thus, he wishes us to employ it in the worship of him with other believers. In Psalm 33, we read here a call to action. The first thing the psalmist says is shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. And he goes on to talk about these other different instruments that people, God's people are to use to praise him. And he calls for the psalmist, the, call, the psalmist calls for the righteous to shout for the joy of the Lord, to give thanks on the instruments, and to sing to the Lord a new song. Notice here, he calls for who? The righteous to do this. He did not call for the talented, the elite, the selected, the trained, the ones who feel like it. He says the righteous are the ones who are to do this. So the question becomes then, who are the righteous? You and I, in and of ourselves, have no righteousness, right? The scriptures are very clear about that. That in our natural state, the prophet Isaiah tells us that our righteousness are, is as filthy rags. Even the good things we do are tainted, is tainted by our sin. So who are the righteous? The righteous are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Because as 
Paul says, he, that is Jesus, became sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. If you know Jesus Christ, you have been declared righteous before God the Father. And so therefore, when the psalmist says, hey, you who are righteous, praise the Lord in this way, guess who he's talking to? He's talking to us. He's talking to those who belong to God. Those who belong to God then are called to sing to him. Paul reiterates this command there in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. As he says, we are, to, we are to let God's word dwell in us richly or abundantly. And as it does, as, as we soak in the word of God, as, as we make God's word a part of our lives, we are to respond, right? We are to teach and admonish other believers. And then what are we to do? We are to sing to the Lord. The thankfulness of our hearts towards God should result in us praising God in song. The natural response of a believer who fills his life with the word of God is to sing the praises of his God. So no, when you come into church and we have a song service, it's not just filler. It is a vital part of our worship. It is an opportunity It is not not just an opportunity for musicians to show off their talents and their trainings and their gift. This is not a, a concert every week. It is a fulfillment of God's command that believers would worship him in song. We do this corporately, right? We did it today. Four times we did it this morning. You know, stand here, sit there, we're going to sing this, turn to this one. And so when you come to church, I would tell you this. Come ready to sing. Come ready to sing praise to God. And you know, how we worship God, right? How we offer him praise is a big part of that. I would encourage you that when you sing songs to the Lord, you sing with a smile on your face, right? You know, sometimes it's really scary to stand up here and leave music, right? Because, you know, there's all... Brother Fuss Budget out there, and I'm not talking about anybody here, okay? You know? Blessed who sure is, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a joy. Like, what is wrong with you, man? You don't look very joyful, right? Somebody sits on the back row with their arms folded, look like somebody licked all the red off the candy cane. Like, well, why am I here, you know? And you think, how do we offer God our true joy and praise if that's how we, you know, what's going on out here is a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And listen, I get it. Sometimes you walk into church, you're dealing with some really hard stuff in your life. Amen? Some of you came in today, and I won't make you say amen to that one, okay? Some of you came in today, you're dealing with some really hard stuff. I'm not saying, you know, you just smile and push through it, God will you know, all vanish away. But you know what? To realize, to come in here and say, hey, I got a lot of things going on, but God's bigger than that. He's good. I don't understand, but he does. I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to give him honor. So, so come ready to give God praise. Come and sing with a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Because joy, by the way, isn't dependent on our circumstances, right? It's dependent on our God. I think it is a shame when Christians stand in the pews and they don't bother to sing. I think it is a telling testimony of our lives when we cannot be bothered to give to the Lord the simplest praise that he deserves. That I'm just going to stand here and I'm not going to worry about it because it's not a big of a deal anyway. It is a big deal. God tells us to sing. 
God loves to hear his people sing. You say, well, I mean, I don't, I don't have a great voice. Again, did God say only the people with good voices sing? No. Actually, the first words in Psalm 33 were, shout to the Lord. Some of you are like, that's me, you know. Can't carry a tune in a bucket, but I can shout. Let us give him praise. Devote yourself to doing the best you can. God isn't looking for the best and the brightest. He's looking for the faithful who will serve him. So God loves to hear his people sing. Therefore, that is why we prioritize that here in our worship services. When you come here to worship the Lord, come ready to lift your voice with fellow believers and to sing the praises of our God. Let me take it a step further. Parents, teach your children to sing. Instill in them a love of singing the praises of the Lord. And by the way, the number one way you do that is by you worshiping the Lord in song. To say, hey, this is important. We're going to worship God together. Teach your, we need to teach our children, the next generation, what it means to engage in the wondrous act of corporate worship. At times... You know, here in our church from time to time, we enjoy a, a special hymn, right? A special number, a hymn of meditation, something like that. You know, where maybe we're not all singing together. Someone may be singing or playing. And I would just tell you that, that those who do those things, they don't do it so they can be praised through, you know, people hooting and hollering or clapping. And, you know, but what, why do they do that? They do that because they want you to, to praise the Lord along with them. I, I've said this before. I don't clap in church not because I don't like what people do. I don't clap in church because I don't want to give honor to the person. I'm going to give glory to the Lord. And I do that by saying, amen, right? By the way, what does that mean? It means I agree. This is true. So when you offer a, a hearty amen when somebody uh, worships the Lord or, or prays the Lord in song, you're saying, hey, I agree with that. I'm offering my praise along with the Lord to that. If you play an instrument, you know, you, know, you can be a part of our worship in another way. You can join in accompanying the hymns of the church. Music is a precious gift. I love music. It's uh, been a part of my life, probably most of my life. This morning, I think I've told this story before. If I have, forgive me. Every time we sing this song, O Worship the King, I go back to being a seventh grader uh, learning piano and my seventh grade piano teacher, who's also my youth pastor's wife, making me memorize the words to Oh Worship the King. Because if you're going to play that, she told me, you need to know the words so you can play that the way it's supposed to be played. And every time I stand here and I sing that song, I think about someone who invested their life in me and said, you need to learn how to worship God. It's important, okay? It's vital that we worship the Lord in song. Okay, now that my eyes have leaked today, we can keep going, okay? (laughs) Secondly, what do we do in worship? We give in our worship to God. You're in Colossians. We're going to keep doing the tour here. Um, We're going to come back to Colossians in a few minutes, so if you want to put your finger there, it's fine. But go back a few books to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 7, Paul is writing an inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the believers in Corinth. And he's dealing with an offering that they are collecting for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, as you can probably imagine, if you know anything about 
kind of first century uh, Israel and the things that they are facing there, the establishment of the church. They face a lot of persecution. They face a lot of hardship. They're taking an offering uh, from these churches to help the church in Jerusalem. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we gather to worship with fellow believers, we also in our lives have an opportunity to give to the Lord as part of that worship. In the Old Testament, God laid out for his people in the covenant. Now, you understand that the Old Testament covenant is different than the covenant of grace established under Jesus Christ. Same God, different way that he is interacting with us today. And in the Old Testament, you, know, you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You read these terms of the covenant. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and we are at this point where the Israelites are at Mount Sinai, which they are there from Exodus chapter 19 all the way into the book of Numbers. God is establishing, okay, this is, these are the laws that you are to keep. These are the laws you are to follow. And so God stipulated there in the laws this is what you give to me. And it began with what we typically call the tithe, right? Or a 10% that the people would give to God. Now, as you study the law and you look at the way that God set this up, that wasn't all, by the way. Actually, the more you study, the more you realize that it's really, you're going to be pushing about 25% or so that people end up giving back to God in various and different ways as part of their worship to him. When you reach the New Testament, you don't find a repetition of, this, of these commands, okay, this is how much you give to God, right? This, this tithe. God does not stipulate a percentage as he did under the law. However, that does not mean that God does not expect his people, the believers, to give to him in worship. Giving is still very much a part of our worship to God as it as it was in the Old Testament and it is into the New. And the greatest reality that you and I can come to face with about anything we have is this. Anything and everything that you and I have is given to us by God. You say, well, I mean, I worked for it. Who gave you the strength to do that? Who gave you the the job that you have? Who gave you this or that, the boss that allows you to do God is the one who owns all things. And so therefore, what we must realize is we are stewards of that which God has given to us. A steward is a a manager of something that doesn't belong to him. He is is one who is entrusted with it. And so the question doesn't really become, how much am I going to give to God? The question becomes, how much of God's am I going to keep for myself, right, in a way? And we, we, we understand, we have responsibilities and people God has entrusted to us to take care of in our lives. And I mean, we got we to gotta work to have money to pay the bill and this and that. But God has also given us these things that we may give to him in worship. In the early church, we looked there in Acts chapter 2 today. You, you read that, we read that passage. I won't go back and read it again, but you can read throughout there and throughout the, the first, next chapters and see that people are helping one another. They are selling of their own goods and helping others within the church. Because they saw it as their duty and their calling to give to the work of the church. They helped each other individually, right? Giving to each other had need, but also corporately the church ministered for, 
to those who gathered with them. When we looked at our passage on deacons in Acts chapter 6, what is the ministry the church was engaged in? What's helping the widows, right? And that, that, might, that, that was not just in, in food or other supplies, but also probably in, in funds, in money as well. You get to Acts chapter 5, and you meet these people named Ananias and Sapphira. And the sin that they engaged in was uh, they, they sold some property, and they, let me back up. In the end of chapter 4, they saw people coming and giving gifts to the church in worship of God. And they said, well, we really like how those people, everybody loves those people. And so we're going to sell property. We're going to tell people this is what we sold it for. And we're going to keep something for ourselves so we can have the money and get all the glory that comes with it. And this is not what they're supposed to do, right? God had no problem, by the way, with whether or not they kept some of the money. The problem came is they lied about what they had done, Right? They said, well, this is what we sold it for. We're giving it all to the Lord. Oh, that's wonderful, right? That's what they expected people would say. You can read Acts chapter 5 and see how that went, okay? And so we see in the early church the pattern here is that people give to the Lord in worship. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as Paul speaks of the collection that's being taken for the church in Jerusalem, he gives some principles here for Christians in their giving. And in verse 7, we have highlighted for us our attitude that we are to have towards giving. We should give to the Lord's work, Paul says, from a grateful and a cheerful heart. We do not give to God out of some begrudging duty or under a load of guilt. He says everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This should not be a, well, you know, It's Sunday, I guess it's time to give something to the Lord. You know, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Count the beans out, you know, take them to church, pay God what I owe him. That's not what Paul says here. Nor is it, by the way, uh, supposed to be uh, some pastor wringing people's arms saying, if you don't give to the Lord, this is what's going to happen. You know, that's not what God calls us to do either. Instead, how are we to give to the Lord? We should be giving willingly and joyfully returning to him what he has so richly blessed us with. Paul says at the end of verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. That each one must give at the beginning of that. So what he has decided in his heart is a personal commitment to giving to the Lord. So a Christian's giving should not be forced. God was clear that he wants us to give how? From a willing heart. And I want to say this as well. Giving in the church is also not a buyout, so I don't have to do anything else, right? Well, I sent my check in, so what else do you want from me, pastor? You know, that's not what God wants us to do either. It is part of our worship that we offer to the Lord. So every Christian should ask the question, what would God have me to give? And so we, we have to answer that, own question, or that question in our lives. You know, how do we decide what we're going to give to church? Now, I've had this conversation with people over the years as a pastor because this is the things that people ask sometimes. Like, I mean, what, how much do I give to church? If God didn't say in the New Testament, this is how much you give, what do I give to the church? If it's not mandated, I mean, what, how do we find a good starting point? Well, I'm going to give you my practical thoughts. I want you to understand this is what I tell people when they ask me that question, okay? Because this is how I approach it in my own life. I I look at the Old Testament, and I look at, okay, God said, what was God's starting point with his people? He said what? 
a tenth, a tithe. Okay, this is, this is where I want you to start. Again, just thinking in my own heart and life practically, okay, that's a great place to start. If I say, look, I'm going to set aside 10% of what I have, the first 10% I'm going to give it to the Lord. You know, we teach our, when we teach our children to give, that's where we start with our kids. Hey, this is, this is a great place for you to start. I'm going to give the Lord this first, this first bit out of praise and thanksgiving. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to think. But I think we need to, to just say this then. Let us as Christians make it our goal. Hey, we're, you know, I, I want to remain there. I want to, I want to be able to give to the Lord in other ways as God gives me the ability to do so. As God blesses, may we give generously in his name and in the worship of him. And, and you know what? That doesn't always come in the form of giving to your church. That may be giving to help other people in need. Again, I, I give you personal examples because I don't know where else to go in this. But my wife and I, over the years, we've supported kids who've gone to camp. We have teenagers that we've worked with that go to be counselors. Say, hey, you know, we'd love to help in the mission of, of what you're doing that, this year. We've done this or that. Invest in people's lives. Because that's all part of, of helping God's kingdom, furthering the work of the kingdom. But a good, so that may be financially, it could be giving of your time, your talent, your help, and more. But the overarching principle is this. Let us give to the Lord these things in worship of him. And when we do, we can know that, that he sees that and he blesses that. Listen, we live in a day and age where things are tight. Right? I mean, we, let's just not deny that the economy is tough and things are more expensive. I left town. Uh, we had a family trip and the uh, snow camp this week. I left town. Gas was under $3 a gallon. I come back into town. You know, I drive through town this morning, and I was rudely reminded that gas went back up over three gallons, uh, $3 a gallon, right? I get it. It's part of the world we live in right now. It's like the math isn't mathing all the time, Right? I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And so when that happens, what is the temptation? Well, the temptation is to change the game plan, right? You know, if I if I give to God, then I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I'm not gonna be able to do this, I'm not gonna be able to do this and that. And so we say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna give to the Lord for a while, and, and it, because if I don't, if I if I do give to him, I'm, I'm not gonna have anything to live on. But reality, we should strive to give to the Lord first and filter everything else. Under that. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 24 says, He who gives freely, one gives freely yet grows all the richer, another withholds that he should give and only suffers want. And that's one of those paradoxical statements that you read in the book of Proverbs and you think, well, wait a minute. The guy who gives freely, he grows richer, but the guy who's holding on to it, what do you mean? It's a principle, though, of following the Lord and worshiping him. If we will give as he has commanded us to give, he sees that and he takes care of us. He takes care of our needs. No, this doesn't mean that if you, know, you give to the Lord, you're going to have all the luxuries of life. This is not, please don't take that, that, that look on it, right? Well, the pastor said if I give, I got health, wealth, and a condo on the beach waiting for me. Amen, praise the Lord. You know, here's my money, where do I send the check? But would you be willing to admit that there are certain things in our lives that we feel like we have to have that we don't have to have. And as we begin to look through the, the lens of, okay, how do I worship and honor the Lord in my life? Maybe some of the things I thought were important aren't as important as I thought they were. Again, you know, we're not talking like, you know, 
I really only need to eat one, week, one meal a week. You know, that's... But are we willing to say, God, I, I'm going to give to you in worship, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to, to take care of, of our needs. Because I'll tell you this, one who has trusted God has never been let down. And we may never see all the manifestations of those blessings here on this earth, but in eternity, God blesses, right? Because we'll stand in the presence, his presence forever through the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to worship the Lord, let us give, let us sing, let us enjoy joining with others to lift him up and worship him. Well, I've done it again. I've spent too much time on another point when I had two points planned for today. So we're going to go ahead and I'm going to fast forward to the end here and we'll come back and we'll pick up point three next week. But I just want to remind you where, we, where, we were, where our statement was today that Christians are called to dedication to the local church for the purpose of exercising the character of the new man and furthering the mission of the kingdom of God. Worship is the natural response of those who have experienced the goodness of God. If you have experienced God's work in your life to save you from sin, to give you his good things, the natural response of that is to worship him. As we return to God our worship, we honor him for who he is and what he's done. God delights in our worship. And again, that is an encouraging thought. So let us give praise and thanks to him today for his church and his salvation of all those who trust in him making them a part of his eternal kingdom. But remember this. Worship takes intentionality. One of the things we have to understand about worshiping God is we don't just stumble into worship. You don't just, you know, bebop through your day and, oh, all of a sudden I'm worshiping God. It takes an intentional, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. When you walk into church, Worshiping the Lord in song or giving or however that, that looks. It takes intentionally engaging in that. It means engaging with the Lord in our personal lives through the reading of the word and prayer and corporately with other believers. So may we be a church, may we be a people, may we be Christians who long to give God the worship he deserves and ask him to grow that desire in our hearts as we faithfully serve him. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and the the opportunity to be in the house of God together. Thank you for the freedom we enjoy in this country to meet here, to worship you openly, to open our doors to the public, not for fear and not fear uh, ramifications from our government and others who would threaten our worship. Lord, in such freedom, help us not to grow apathetic and help us to commit all the more to worshiping you, to giving you praise with our lips, to giving faithfully to the ministry that you have given us the opportunities to give to. And Lord, I we pray that you would help us as we go throughout this week, help us to live lives that give worship to you that we may gather with fellow believers again on Sunday to worship you together, praising and honoring you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, we admit that even as believers, we have struggles, we have sin in our lives that we, we, we give into. 
Um, and Lord, we pray to help us rely on the Holy Spirit and see victory in these things. Convict us of our sin. Help us to walk rightly with you and in your power. And we ask, as we go from this place, you would continue to do your work in our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen.